From Wall Street to Main Street, there are stories to be told. Where knowledge learned on the street is as powerful as knowledge learned on the streets. This is the Financial Recon Podcast, where we introduce you to the people, places, and things that have helped shape our environment and will help shape yours. Welcome to the conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Financial Recon Podcast. This is Mike Molitaris. One of the biggest questions people ask me is, how do you pick a stock? Is it based on things such as P ratios, dividend yields, or technical indicators? Kind of. See, that's only part of the equation, in my opinion. But there is one thing that stands out to me more than anything, and that is customer and employee experience. See, it's really pretty simple in my eyes. Is the experience consistent? Is it easy? And most importantly, is it memorable? So why does this weigh so much heavier than the others in my research? Simply put, it's a lot cheaper to retain an existing customer than it is to get a new one. Look at companies such as Costco, Disney, or Chick-fil-A. They don't have customers, but they have fans. These organizations are the closest semblance to a money machine. It is impressive to watch how simple pleases, thank yous, and my pleasures can create these experiences. So, hmm, maybe our parents and grandparents were right. Our next guest I was introduced to because of the passion he has brought to his organization. An acquaintance of mine first introduced me to Jesse by saying, hey, have you ever heard of this yellow tux guy in Savannah? I hadn't, so I Googled him and loved what he was doing and the experience he and his team were and are creating. Like in anything in life, sometimes we get trapped in an echo chamber of confirmation and miss people who are doing things well right before our eyes. If it wasn't for that fateful conversation, I may have done just that. But the truth is, by looking into other industries and businesses, we can learn so much of what does and doesn't create a memorable employee and customer experience. With that, I'm happy to introduce you to Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Man, founder of Fans First Entertainment, and the owner of the Savannah Bananas. Well, Jesse, thanks a lot for uh, joining us on the Financial Recon Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. One of the things I want to just let fans know or listeners know a little bit more about is the backstory around the Savannah baseball team and how this whole thing kind of got rolling. Of course. Well, I, I don't think you should correct yourself when you said fans. I, I'm on a mission to change the language. I think we should not just listeners or customers or vendors or clients. I think fans is a whole different mentality. And that's kind of uh, what we believe in more than anything. And I guess you could say, Mike, it's easy. You're a sports team. Well, I think every business should look at their people. How do they create fans? It's a different conversation. So uh, yeah, to give the backstory, uh, we had zero fans when we started. We didn't have customers. We had nothing. I mean, the reality is the the Savannah Bananas should not know, not even exist today. And this crazy guy in a yellow tuxedo that's talking to you, I should not be talking about a, a team called the Savannah Bananas because, you know, five years ago, uh, when we first came to Savannah, we failed. We failed miserably. Uh, you know, I remember it was just February 25th, 2016. We announced the new team and we got bombarded with comments. The owner should be thrown out of town. You guys are an embarrassment <laughs> to the city. You'll never sell a ticket. Leave our town now. Which, for the record, a year later, we did a mean tweet video with all those, which was which was rather fun. But, uh, yeah, I, I, we're one of the lowest levels of baseball there is. There's Major League, Triple A, Double A, High A, Regular A. We are college summer baseball, and we decided to come into a professional baseball market that failed. Uh, there was professional baseball there for 90 years. Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Lou Gehrig, they all played in the stadium in Savannah, but the, the team, former team was getting no support. So we thought, hey, we could come in there. We, we could do it better. And then we proceeded to fail. So myself, uh, my amazing wife, Emily, our 24-year-old president and three 22-year-olds, when we showed up that first day, we were given the keys and the city said, good luck, go get them. And uh, there was nothing left in the stadium. There was no office. There was an abandoned storage building. So we grabbed a picnic table from the park. We brought it into the office and started calling from our cell phones, people in the community, businesses, nonprofits. And they're all like, who are you guys? Not interested, not interested, not interested. And, uh, you know, it was so bad. We only sold two tickets in our first three months. And it was pretty much a donation. The guy was like, here, just take this. You guys need this. He was right. We did. 
Uh, and it got so bad that in January of 2016, uh, we overdrafted our account and, and uh, we were out of money. And Emily, my wife, turned to me and said, Jesse, we have no other options. We have to sell our house. So at that point, we sold our dream house that we had built in Charlotte and went down to Savannah and we got an airbed and uh, we're trying to make ends meet. And we realized we were doing things like everyone else and getting results like everyone else. And normal gets normal results. We were marketing like everyone else, trying to sell like everyone else. I wasn't wearing the yellow tuxedo. We were being the same baseball team as everyone, just worse, just a lower level. So we knew we had to create attention. So we came up with the banana's name. We got attention. It wasn't great attention, but people started talking about us. And they didn't know that we had a plan to have a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas. You know, that would dance to, you know, Bruno Mars and Michael Jackson on the field. And that we had a, a male cheerleading team coming in called the Mananas. That's now really just the dad bod cheerleading squad. Or that we were having a name in our mascot split. Or that we were going to do music videos with our players to can't stop the peeling. We were going to change the song from uh, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> and we had all these ideas, but we just had to get them into our ballpark to see. And so long story short, they came out and we went all in on this fan's first experience. Try to eliminate all the bad parts of a baseball game. Make it fun. Fun, make it all inclusive, make it everything you could ask for. And they came in the first night, it poured and rained, uh, but they stayed. And at nine o'clock at night, I remember looking up and not one fan had left before the game had started. And they stayed and watched us play terrible, Mike. That first night, we made <laughs> six errors. I mean, it was brutal. Good thing we were wearing green uniforms because uh, that's what we do in opening night every year because the team's not quite right. So we wore those oh, green nice. uniforms. Yeah, there you go. I got I to have fun with the banana puns. So we wore that and they left and, you know, we had free s'mores when they left, all our players thanking them and really trying to make a great experience. And from that moment on, they started telling everyone and uh, we've ended up selling out every single game since that have a wait list for tickets still in the thousands. And uh, we don't spend any dollars on marketing on traditional marketing. We just spend everything on the experience. And so that's what we've been able to do. And we're so fortunate. And my wife and I are sleeping on a real bed now. So we're full. You know, and that's, you know, as a Mets fan, because right. Savannah used to be a Mets. uh, Yes, it was. Yes. And so, I mean, that's where I'm vaguely familiar with things. And I think it's great what you've done. Um, Like you said, People started talking, and that's how we got connected, just because of the turnaround that you and Emily have done down there with your team. It's uh, really, really awesome. One of the things that – this is a question for my brother, actually. He, he wanted me to ask you this is, how, how did you settle on Bananas as the name? <laughs> so we had to name the team – we had to name the team – good question. We had to name the team contest. And again, our whole model, the name of our company – um, is fans first entertainment. And it used to be team Colin associates, which is like a terrible law firm or accounting. <laughs> it was the worst name ever. And I realized that's not who we do. That's not what we do. That's not who we serve. That's not what we're all about. So we made it all about the fans and our mission fans first entertainment always. So we changed the name and with that name of the company and that mission, you have to make every decision based on the fans. What would a fan want? What are we doing for the fans? And so we said, all right, you know, and a lot of teams have done this, but this was just the start for us. We said, all right, we're going to let our fans name the team. And we proceeded to get 999 pretty much average, boring, non-remarkable names. <laughs> the Sailors, the Ports, the Anchors, even the former teams. It's like, you'll be the Braves. I'm like, yeah, we're going to be the Savannah Braves. All right, that's already happened. And there's already a Braves team in Atlanta. We're good. <laughs> But we said we want something crazy, something unique, something different. And unfortunately, a lot of people went to the middle, except for one woman, uh, a nurse in town, Lynn Moses. She said bananas. And we looked at it and we said, oh, and then we started thinking about all the opportunities and all the marketing and all the fun. And we turned to each other. We're like, we're going to get crucified, though. People are going to hate it. And I said, well, at least they'll talk about us. If we can get them talking, that'll be a start. And then when they see we're all about fun and everyone's in banana costumes and we have banana-shaped tickets and that our scratch and sniff and smell like bananas, we serve frozen bananas, we have banana beer, we have banana cream soda, we have slippery banana drinks, we're all in on the fun of bananas, maybe they'll understand that that's it's going to work. And fortunately, that's what we went with. And we went with a crazy name. And I think so many people are scared to do something out of the box because of the fear of what people will think. And I think anybody that does anything truly special um, is going to get criticized and they're going to be misunderstood at first. And so we were willing to be criticized and misunderstood for a while until people understood we were about having fun. And it, it's uh, fortunately worked out. And, and you're right. Like the first is always the one who bears the brunt of it. So how did the, the yellow tux, I mean, obviously banana, but how did you, how did the yellow tux come into play? Is it just like, you were trying it for one promotion or, and it just kind of snowballed from then becoming yeah, Mark, the mayor of the ballpark. 
<laughs> Most things do start with what we call small bets, but uh, <laughs> this this what's crazy. The 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 yellow tux actually started before Savannah. So people don't realize oh, that we had, we had a former team in Gastonia that was absolutely failing. There was only 200 fans coming to the ballpark, $268 in bank account my first day. It was brutal. And we tried wow. everything there. We did flatulence, fun nights, salute, <laughs> no fair nights. Uh, we even had pregnant night, which was like a two for one. You and your future kid get a free ticket and at a craving station. That didn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> we, we tried a lot of things there. And um, when I first came to Gastonia as a GM at 23 years old, I didn't know anything. I had no idea what I was doing. Unfortunately, I was able to uh, learn from Mike Veck, uh, the son of uh, Bill Veck, uh, famous old school baseball owner. And then I read every book. Disco, on, right? Demolition Disco. Disco Demolition Derby. You got that right. Yeah, yeah they've done, they done some crazy things. Uh, uh, Bill <laughs> Veck, which I take it from him, he would uh, actually during games, he would give a hundred hot dogs to one fan and a hundred buns to another fan just to see what would happen. And, and then he, he even gave 12 live lobsters to a fan in the front row. I mean, he did crazy things just to see how people would react. It was part of the promotion. But um, anyway, I read every book on P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney there was. And I realized, hey, you know, we're putting on a show. You know, our players do choreographed dances every game. People get pied every game. I mean, it's an absolute circus. And I always ask, what business are you in? What business are you really in? We're not in the baseball business. We're in the entertainment business. And if I'm, if I'm the owner of this business, why would I be dressed like every other owner? Why would I be like, I'm going to dress, you know, very professional, formal, you know, a polo, a dress shirt, a sport coat? No. And I guess I channeled my in, inner P.T. Barnum and said, you know, what would P.T. Barnum do if he was running a baseball circus? Of course, he'd have a top hat and a full tuxedo. And so the first night, again, was a mistake. The first night I tried it, this was back in like 2010, uh, my buddy owned a bridal and formal shop. And I went to him, I said, hey, I need a Barnum-esque tuxedo. He goes, for what? I go, for the game. He goes, Jesse, it's, it's in the middle of the summer. You're going to be burning up. I go, just get it to me. I need it. He goes, all right, I'm on it. So he gets it with big black tails, the black top hat. It was all black. It was 101 degrees that first night. I pretty much melted. I go, the black tuxedo doesn't work. He goes, I told you it wouldn't. So I looked online. I said, is there anything lighter? And I found yellow because our old team, the Grizzlies, actually had some yellow in their color. They had some gold. I got it, shipped it overnight, wore it the next game, and everyone was like, this is it. They start taking pictures of like, this fits you. And it became my uniform. And now whenever I wear it, I know it's showtime. And more than anything, it gives our people permission to not take themselves too seriously and to have fun. If the owner is wearing a silly looking yellow tuxedo 24 seven when he's working, then uh, why can't we have a little bit more fun, wear costumes, joke around and really enjoy the environment that we're a part of? Yeah. And, and you're right. Like those little, little changes create that experience. Like I, I know when we left the Midwest, and we moved back to the East Coast. We'd be listening to, uh, I forget if it was the Royals or whatever. And there was a lemonade guy. And you would hear him on TV. And like that just that that just acoustic was like, oh, wow, transported you back to the whole experience of what's going on, being there, enjoying things. And, and well, I, I think, Mike, on that, too, the question everyone should ask, and whether it's your business or yourself, what are you known for? Yeah. You know, what are you known for? And for instance, I don't care if, I mean, if you search yellow tux on Google, you find me immediately. I don't, but that's not the thing that, that's again, an attention getter to understand that we're, I'm about fun, I'm about, you know, energy, I'm about entertainment. And so just like the bananas was an attention getter. Once you dug a little deeper, you said, wow, this is really embodying the brand. So anybody, whether you're a financial advisor, whether you're selling hot dogs, I don't care. What are you known for and mm -hmm. how can you be the only? And so we actually have a list of all those things that we can be the only because that is what people talk about. That makes you remarkable. And so I think that's a big form as far as, you know, we didn't have money. We didn't have resources to market ourselves. We had to think outside the box. We had to outthink, not outspend. And so the tux was one way of getting attention, just like bananas, just like the breakdancing coach, just like all those things. That's really helped us become, you know, the brand that we are now. So like with this, when did the... When did the experience moment click for you? Like, so for, for instance, for me, I real it all came together when I went through grad school and I read Joe Pine's The Experience Economy. I was like, mm, this yeah. makes so much sense. Uh, yeah, and don't, don't, forget Jim, don't forget, don't forget Jim, Jim Gilmore. He's the other I know, author that I, I, that I interviewed on my podcast. He's outstanding. Jim Gilmore, too, but yes. They're, they're both, yeah, I know. I, and I take, that's my bad. I didn't. I just remember Joe from the top of my head because we're connected <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> but when did you have that? When did that moment click for you that like, Hey, we need to do the, ex we need to focus on that experience. When I was coaching in the Cape Cod league, I was 22 years old before I took the job as general manager and I'm sitting in the dugout 
in the Cape Cod League, which for people that don't know baseball terms, it's like the best collegiate players in the country. They all get drafted. They're all top of the line. And I'm sitting in the dugout with some of the best players in the country. I've got the best seat in the house with the best players. And I am bored out of my mind. I am sitting there. I played baseball my whole life and I'm sitting there bored. And I realized I had already accepted the job to become the general manager of this team in Gastonia, North Carolina. And I'm thinking, I'm like, we got the best players. I've got the best seat. I know baseball and I'm bored. Good luck to anyone else that wants to come see our team in Gastonia, North Carolina. <laughs> and I think this is really key. And I heard George Lucas say it. He goes, you know, George Lucas was Star Wars. He said, I just wanted to create something that I would like. You know, Simon Cowell yeah. interviewed it and he was asked, you know, how do you choose the talent? He goes, I just pick things that I like. And it's interesting. If you actually put yourself in the shoes, do you like your product so much that you want to scream on top of a mountaintop how much you love it? If you're not there, then you better start creating that. And so I sat there in the dugout realizing that baseball is boring. It's long. It's slow. And I need to try to make it better. And so that's been a constant obsession with putting myself in the customer's shoes. And so it was really bad in the beginning. I mean, it was, we did some very silly, stupid things. We had policies. We had ticket fees. We had convenient convenient fees, which are the most inconvenient fee there is. We had <laughs> shipping fees. And so what I started realizing is, well, what if we could eliminate friction every step of the way and try to create experience that I want to do and I want to tell everyone about? And so that was really the starting point. And now it's been this constant, you know, we're just friction fighters on everything. And that's why when you look at our team... I mean, there's no teams in the country that every single ticket is all inclusive. They're not dumb enough to say, wait, you know, let's eliminate all the opportunities to buy extra things at a ballpark. Let's include all our burgers, our hot dogs, our chicken sandwich, our soda, our water, our popcorn. Let's eliminate all our shipping fees, all our ticket fees, all our convenience fees. Let's throw away all our sponsorship at our stadium and create the first ever ad-free ballpark. Like teams wow. aren't, that, aren't that silly, but it's because of that constant relentless putting ourselves in our customer's shoes. I don't believe fans come to a ballpark and they want to be advertised to. I don't believe fans come to a ballpark and want to pull money out of their pocket and keep buying things over and over again. I don't believe fans want to have convenient fees, ticket fees. I believe if, if a t-shirt's $24, it shouldn't be $30.50 after shipping. It should be $24. Again, I'm thinking about the things that I like and that if I was a customer, I would do. And so that's really where we, where we start everything. What are those friction points? And that is putting yourself in those shoes is so important. I, I agree with you. I, I experienced that myself in my career is that people used to say, well, we're doing these seminars. Your clients need to be there. And I said, why? What is it for them? Well, well, they need, who's this benefit? You or them? Oh, well, you know, like, and, and I think we need to do more of that, but I, and especially in looking, um, looking at like investments and things like that. I always personally look at companies and I'm like, Hey, what are they, how are they making it easy to do business? How is this a memorable experience? And I know that like with the bananas, you've really invested so much in that experience. How does it look like, how do you want that experience to look from a customer standpoint? And then on the flip side, how are you hoping the employees experiences working with the bananas? Well, uh, as people in our team know, it's a good question. Our biggest fans are our own people, our teammates. And uh, so, you know, we say love your customers more than you love your product, but love your people, love your teammates even more than you love your customers. And so if you want if you want your people to live a great experience, you better deliver a great experience to them. And, right. you know, my wife has been a champion in this. I mean, since our first year, I remember, uh, you know, a young guy who started working with us. And I'll never forget, he started working with us and he's a big Cleveland Indians fan, grew up there. His father was up there, the big Indians fans and the Indians, uh, you know, made the World Series. And he had single handedly helped us sell out all the games, raised a lot of money for nonprofits. So we brought the whole staff together and said, Danny, I got a gift for you. And it was a toy airplane. And I, he goes, what is this? And I go, that represents how far uh, you've taken, how far you've gone with us, how far you're going with us and how you've taken everyone with you. He goes, oh, thanks, man. I go, oh, yeah, one more thing. Um, uh, we're flying you to game one of the World Series tomorrow, and you're going with your dad. Nice. And he goes, shut up. That was his first reaction. And we called his dad, and his dad started crying. And him and his dad were the first people in line for the World Series 
game one where the Indians played the Cubs back in 2016, I think it was. And, uh, wow. you know, that's, you know, you can't just put that on the ball. I mean, that, that was an expense to get those tickets to fly up, mm-hmm. but it's nothing. It's the reason why we've sent our fans first director on a bucket list trip to Ireland with her dad. It's why we go shopping for our people and surprise them. We try to create that experience for them. And then it helps them also understand what we're trying to deliver to our fans. So I went on a little bit of an aside there because you got me talking about that. But what was the first part you were asking? How you want the customers to experience like bananas. Like when they come in, what do you want them to ideally feel or? Not the way I experienced it when when I went undercover fan. So actually, you know, really, if you get the chance, anyone check out the video. (laughs) I got to say the thing I appreciate about you, Jesse, is the thing like you're like, oh, we got to fix that bump in the parking lot. Like that's not good for. And I'm like that. That's like Jim Senegal Costco attention to detail. I, I mean, I love that stuff. Well, thank you. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I get that from Disney. I mean, Disney, you know, paid so much attention to the details and they did it better than everyone. And when you go back 50 years and you'll still notice details you never noticed before. And I think uh, I, I, the Imagineering story on Disney Plus is one of the most fascinating. Oh, yeah. It's Love so it. fascinating. And the four levels of detail. And then one of the Imagineers said, you know, I'm always creating this for not the first time, for the 20th time they come back. I want them to go on it 20 times. I'm like, I love that. So anyways, yes, to, to, to follow up, we go undercover every night at our stadium. Someone goes undercover. We call it undercover fan. We also this past year started doing frontline fan where actually I work on the front line and me flipping burgers and working a register was a disaster. No yellow tux. I'm treated like everyone else. I that. You learn a lot, mostly empathy uh, for the, your team. But anyways, I, I go undercover and uh, yeah, there's a video. We filmed it. Uh, I hit a giant pothole. I was like, what a terrible first impression. And then as I'm getting out, I walk up and we have parking penguins that are parking your car. And I see our two parking penguins eating burgers with their back turned to people as they're walking in the stadium. Ironic, fun story about that. One of those guys, Patrick, who was actually a parking penguin that day, um, he ended up working with me as my runner when I was frontline fan. We invited him back and he came to life. I was just, I was like, I'm going to make this the most energetic, fun time we could have. And I'm like, people would come up. Are you ready for the best Coke of your life? And Patrick are like, get the best Coke in the life. And he's like, you're coming up the best Coke of your life. And we just started having energy. I think you got to surround yourself with people that bring energy. And anyways, long story short, I went on a tangent there, but oh, it was, oh. it was a, it was a tough experience. Um, but we put ourselves in our shoes. We, you know, the way I envision it is there's parking penguins parking your car. Then we have the pep band playing, you know, Rocky music and Final Countdown. Then we have our banana nanas out there and our players are greeting fans. We have a professional high fiver high fiving people pre-COVID or post-COVID. He was the air high fiver this past year. Then we have our banana ticket takers in banana costumes. Then even in the bathrooms, in our men's bathrooms, we have our rival making bacon. We have urinal cakes with making bacon. So our fans are actually peeing on our rival. This year, we actually added making bacon toilet paper because it's okay. We're <laughs> okay number two. Um, uh, eventually, I want to add, my, Mike, eventually, I want to add a golden throne. I want to make one stall, the nicest stall, like no, like literally gold, like immaculate, like nice yeah. artwork. And just create like, oh, have you been to the Bananas Golden Throne? Because it's a 1926 ballpark, so you would never expect that. And again, it's another remarkable moment. But anyways, from the bathrooms to the way they serve food, we have an old stadium, no digital scoreboard, no suites. But there's little touch points that we can do to try to create how we make people feel. And so that's why our players come to the crowd in the crowd and deliver roses to little girls during the game. That's why our players go on dates with fans. That's why we do crazy things because it's those moments that matter. And like Disney said... Uh, Disneyland is a living and breathing thing. It's never complete. That's the same thing. And if you look back five years ago, uh, I'm embarrassed by our experience. And if you don't look back on something the day before and aren't a little bit embarrassed, that means you waited too long to start trying to do new things. And so we're constantly pushing the envelope uh, and know that every day, the next day will be a better experience than the day before. It's funny. I worked a concession stand as, you know, doing hot dogs for uh, back in the Omaha Royals, back when they were at Rosenblatt. And it was for a charity thing, you know, those charity nights when you work the stand. And what night did we have to do that? Berkshire Hathaway night when Warren Buffett brought all the shareholders to the ballpark. And let, <laughs> talk about trial under fire. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's was, the uh, ultimate stress test. Yeah, I mean, but it's like to your point about the employees, like the little things you've done, like – We're season ticket holders for the Durham Bulls here up in uh, the Triangle. Yeah, I like Berlin very well. They're president and GM. Yeah, yeah. And and it's like going to the ballpark 
We've been there uh, nine, ten years, and it's the experience of that same usher, that same person reaching out. Hey, it's a community, and I've tried to explain that to my kids. Like that experience is the same thing that you translate to uh, Costco or a uh, uh, Disney. Um, Costco is my main uh, point of reference there because they take care of their employees. And their, what is their retention rate? I think it's like 90% of their members. I mean, that is just awesome. And, and we know in business, it's cheaper to keep an existing customer than to go out and get new customers all the time. And if I can, yeah, and if I can invest in those people and make their lives better, and like I'm, I'm going, and I always say, I'm going into Costco, and I don't hear the employee complaining about their health insurance or their manager or whatever. And I, I see that and I go across the country then they're doing something right. And I even experienced that with target, you know, with the new target layouts. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, my, my wife was not a big fan of the new <laughs> rearrangement, but I said, you know, like they're doing something right here because you're seeing, yeah. you know, uh, the experience for the employees to get better which is translating that customer experience, which I, I find um, fascinating. Um, I mean, how much, how much are part-time staff uh, smiling? How much laughter is there? You know, do you see them ever complain out loud? I mean, you can yeah. do a very quick audit of any, you know, the easiest one is a restaurant. You go mm-hmm. in a restaurant and you see how they come up to you right now, because you know, what happened is they may serve you, but then they just had a fight and argument. They're not happy in the behind the scenes that, that they, they can't go on stage as fast. And so we can read it. You can observe it. And that's why I, I, we got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Our, our, part-time, our part-time people, we can get a lot, lot better. And because it's a short season, we need to invest a lot more time and energy. I think our full-time and our interns, they understand the culture. They understand what we're about. Right. Um, we have pep rallies and we do recognition. We give tons of different awards. But I think we need to make them understand that you're not just here to help us. How can we help you? What do you want to do after you you know, run our concession stand or you run our food and bed. And I think you got to have those questions to care more. And so it's, it's, it takes a while to get to it, but we're working on it. Yeah. And I, I, to that point, I have some friends who have told me about the, you know, restaurant business in the last year, especially the turnover rates. It's been astronomical with COVID. Uh, in, in your book, uh, find your yellow tux. Obviously, you know, we touched on this earlier. You, you cite Walt Disney, PT Barnum, Bill Veck as your mentors. And the thing that I love is the story about rainouts and uh, what one of your interns did. Can you touch on that? Yeah. Laura Skullman. And again, it's part of our, uh, you know, fans first culture. So, you know, everyone talks about uh, great customer experience when, you know, things are going right, but what about when things go wrong? And in baseball, right. rain is the worst thing that can potentially happen in a baseball game. <laughs> in Savannah, Georgia, we get a lot of rain. So, First, we've got better this. We have a full rainout script. And so what we do is we want, and it's so great. We've actually had uh, Ballpark Digest came to do a review and they did a review of a rainout. We never played a pitch. And them oh, and wow. the said, uh, it's the most fun they've ever had at a baseball game. And we never threw a pitch. And right. so I'm like, all right. I'm like, we're just going to start saying, hey, we got a rainout scheduled for Friday, another rainout scheduled for Saturday. Come on down. We're bringing the rainout. <laughs> So we, we, we schedule, you know, all the promotions, the things we do in the grandstand, the sing-offs, the dance-offs, the giveaways. And we really have, it's like, all right, rain out time, let's do it. In addition to that, we line up all of our staff and even our players to an extent um, lined up with baseball umbrellas, walking people to their cars. Again, friction. People don't want to get poured on. They parked far away. How do we make it better? You know, we didn't do this in the beginning. We just watched people get poured on. We're like, that's not fans first. And so, so, uh, so yeah, within just a few weeks, we bring on a whole new team of interns. And I literally uh, watched uh, Laura start walking this gentleman to his car. It was an older gentleman. And she was gone for like 30 minutes. And I'm like, <laughs> where the heck is she? You notice when someone's, because there was like 10 of us. Right, I'm, like, right. and I'm like, all right, she's gone. And I'm like, did she just go somewhere? Like, is she like in the office drawing off? No, <laughs> she comes back and she is just drenched. I mean, her shirt, her pants, I mean, just literally soaking wet. And I go, Laura, what, what happened? She goes, I walked to that gentleman home. I go, you walked him home? She goes, yeah, I walked him to his doorstep. I go, well, what? And she goes, he said he was just down the road, but it was like a mile down the road. <laughs> and I walked him down to his doorstep and I walked him back. I got a little wet and I go, wow, you didn't. She goes, fans first, right? 
She literally said our language back to us as an internal. That's awesome. Weeks. And I've seen that over and over again because when you can make decision making easy, you know, a lot of companies, it's very, very tough. You know, they very corporate and hey, I, I, um, I can't make that flight anymore. Or hey, I need to change that reservation. Oh, well, our policy says you can't do that because you waited an extra day or it wasn't in that window or it doesn't work. To us, like, if, that is not even a, a thought process for us because literally if our interns, game day staff, teammates, anybody is working with someone and says, hey, can you take care of me? The answer is always it's fans first. Even if it makes us, we're losing money on the situation because we are more focused on long-term fans than short-term profits. And everything we do, that's why we get rid of sponsors, ads. That's why we told our whole staff during COVID, no one's losing their job. In addition to that, everyone's keeping their same salary. We're not doing furloughs. We'll find a way. And because we're focused on the long term versus the short term. And that's something we've learned from Disney, from Amazon, et cetera. And I think uh, if you change your mindset to think that way, it makes vi- all decisions very, very easy. And I applaud that. And that's what one of the things I stress to clients in the past year as we were going through the evolution of COVID and you know the shutdowns and so forth. I said, if you're an investor in a company and they're let's say they're paying a dividend and they cut their dividend like let's say like a penny or what have you, if that's to keep those employees taken care of, they're if they're good employees, that's worth it. That's that's an investment right there. So I wouldn't fr- I wouldn't punish those companies. In fact, I'd applaud those companies. I know I can't say if they cut their dividend or not, but I know like Starbucks made that like commitment to their employees and so forth, and that's that's powerful. I, I kind of think the peace of mind you just got. If you have 50 employees, that's 50 more advocates. A hundred percent. And the question you ask is, how do you want to be remembered? All right. In the scheme of things. And do you want to have regrets? And I think the reality is you will never regret doing the right thing. And the right thing isn't about money. The right thing is about humans, connection, people. That's always the right thing. I'd rather be as five years ago, sleeping on an airbed with my wife, which I know she doesn't want to go back there now that we have we have a son and we have a new foster uh, placement with us, foster girl. It, it, we don't want to do that, all right? But if we have to sacrifice ourselves for our people, for our fans, in, in 50 years, we'll make that same decision. Right. Having a lot of money and being alone is very, very sad and depressing to me. But having not not a lot of money, but having lots of people that are together in joy and happiness and fun, that's why I do what I do. There's no greater joy than bringing people together, seeing an 80-year-old dancing with an 8-year-old, and then, and then an 8-month-old being lifted up as the banana baby before the game, saying, ah, Savania. And then after the game, with the pep band playing and fans not wanting to leave because us, myself and our players are dancing with the fans and just having the time of our life lost in the moment, that... I, I think we need more now than ever. We need points where we don't have to look at a phone. We don't have to go just focus on what else we're sharing in the world. Just be in a moment and be with people, having fun, smiling. That's why I do it. That's what I look at. Experience greater than things. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's what that's what we need. You know, I can appreciate where you're coming from about like being you and your wife sleeping on like that picture of sleeping on an air mattress and things like that. Because when we were... In the Air Force, we had a, a master sergeant who, at the end of the initial Iraq, uh, the initial part of Iraq, E-Freedom, he refused to come back until every one of his troops got home. And, like, you sit back and you think about someone like that, and it's like, he forever. Now, what is this? Uh, uh, almost 18 years from that all started. And to this day, we all still talk about him. Oh, you know, amazing. and like, like awesome guy. Um, oh, and I'll tell you, on that, the, note, like, yeah. on that note, Mike, I blame Simon Sinek for really messing with me because, uh, <laughs> well, that's all, there's a whole story on where he called me after a thank you note. That, that was fun. But it was his book, Leaders Eat Last. And now, literally, I'll be starving. But I like in my mind, it's always, no, Jesse, Leaders Eat Last, Leaders Eat Last. So like after a game, making sure every single person has <laughs> ate. So I've supplemented now, but I will have a drink while I wait. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a mindset of make sure everyone that you're taking care of is taken care of before you take care of yourself. And that's the definition of true servant leadership, exactly what you mentioned in your story. You're absolutely right. And, you know, in, the, in your book, you said something in there that, you know, it's fitting because as we're recording this and I think about like a week or 10 days 
Warren Buffett's going to release his Berkshire annual report with the famous infamous letter. But you said Ooh. this line, which is just so powerful. Simple is memorable. And I feel like sometimes we ju- we feel the need to justify our value through complexity. Mm-hmm. Just keeping it simple is, you know, I, I see it in my industry, I see it with businesses. It's like, I don't have to be overly complex. There's a sil- certain brilliance to keeping it simple, keeping it understandable. And I, I related to my Chipotle experience uh, two weeks ago. You know, they messed up my order. I went on the app. I said, I didn't get this. I didn't get this. I didn't get this. Bam. They're $3 or $5 is back in your account. Thank you. And here we are talking about it. Well, thank you. You're spot on. I learned from Donald Miller. You confused, you lose, you know, with everything. Keep it simple. Keep it short. And uh, Jeff Rosenblum in the book Friction said, whoever says the most in the least amount of words wins. And, you know, we need to talk very simple. And I think, uh, you know, being, what is that? Being clear is being kind. I'll keep going with all these different quotes I've learned, but (laughs) it's, It's so obvious. You know, can people explain what you do in one or two words? Can they share it? If you have to go on this whole explanation, it's already forgotten. And I think, you know, how do you create an unforgettable brand, an unforgettable business? You got to be simple. What do you do? What do you do? You know, for us, we're a circus and a baseball game breaks out. That's it. It's fans first. It's entertain always. Like, that's it. Like, we try to very simple so it's clear. And I think that's, that's, that's hugely helpful from a marketing, from a branding, from understanding people, what you stand for and who you are. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Now with COVID, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, how did you guys keep fans engaged with COVID through the last year? So yeah, this past year, um, when you take a seven figure hit, uh, it's not, not that easy for business. And yes, we had like everyone else, we were fortunate we were able to play, but we had to turn away 50,000 people that already bought tickets. Now with every season sold out, uh, you know, the season was sold out. We had to turn away people that already bought tickets. And so, um, when we sh- sh- shut every- shut down the office, sent everyone home, I remember the conversation I had with the guys. I said, hey, guys, now is going to be the defining moment for our company, who we are and what we do. Are we going to make decisions that go against what we stand for? Or right now, we're all in this together. And what I mean by that is, all right, Devin, you're not in tickets. Jonathan, you're not in operations. Lizzie, you're not in merchandise. Right now, we are all entertainers for our fans from at home. And so the first thing we did, we said, all right, how can we be there for our fans during this really uncertain, challenging time? And we said, well, let's go all in on entertaining. And we just started coming up with ideas. So the first thing was like, well, we're known for our music videos. Guys, we're all at home. Let's do that song, Dancing With Myself by Billy Idol, that brutal song. (laughs) We all turned our cameras on ourselves. I mean, I was grabbing a plunger, which was really disgusting when you think about singing like, dancing with myself. And all of us were singing. We did a music video. We sent that out. And then we're like, all right, we're going to show the people behind the scenes of us. We're going to be human here. This is who we are. We said, let's do cooking with bananas. You know, we can't, none of us are really great cooks. We're all like average at it, but let's do Facebook Live where we show what we're cooking in our, then we started doing music trivia. Then we said, what if we actually get our fans to be a part of a music video? So one of our biggest dances, every game, it's a tradition at ballpark. We do, hey, baby, hey, hey, baby, ooh. And we send it out to our fans. I got hundreds of people sending videos of them at their own houses and outside. We made a music video of that. So we said, all right, let's just entertain like crazy. And we went, started going heavy on TikTok. We're like, this, this was built for us, this TikTok brand. It's just fun. <laughs> we said, let's start doing it. And now fast forward, we have more followers on TikTok than any major league baseball team, almost 400,000 followers. Wow. We showing us having fun. And so there was zero revenue from that. Let me just be very clear. Zero revenue. Right. But when we started able to come back and have games – and all of a sudden, people start saying, "Oh, wait, they can be. I, I can, I can come out again." Or I got to get merchandise. I love these guys. Our merchandise has climbed a hundred percent month over month for over the last year, and it is lights out. I mean, if you see most teams, you have a brand new team. They launch. They're like, "Oh, everyone wants a hat," and then they disappear. We're on a straight trajectory up, and I think it's because people are like, "These guys are cool. They're not trying to make take money from me. They're just trying to entertain us." And so the more you give without asking for anything in return, the more people will try to find ways to give you something in return. They'll try to buy from you. And that's what's happening now. Fans are like, how can I buy from you? I mean, we get we, we do a video and people says with a new shirt, they said, just take my money. Just take my money. Some people are like, just, just keep my credit card on record. We literally have some fans that said, keep our credit card on record for when we have a new merch item. It's crazy. But I think it's because of the proportion of how much we give 
versus how much we ask for. And I think that's how you win long-term as a brand. I mean, just from my perception is it's authentic. It's like, I like these people. I want to, I want to support you. I want to see you succeed. And it's the same that could be applicable to any company that if you have that connection, then you, you can have that person who's like, Hey, yeah, just like we put our credit card on an app and buy, 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 buy. Like it's nice and easy. Uh, no matter what company you are. And I, I challenge this. How can you create a brand that is so cool, so unique, so fun that people want to wear your logo? Whether you're a financial advisor, you're a heating and cooling company, I don't, you're a lawyer. Whatever, like, oh, dude, my lawyer is so badass. You know, whatever. Excuse my language, right. but like, he is so cool. I got to Like, this law firm, they do the best experience. When I come in, they have like a jazz band playing. They always give me drinks. I'm like, no, not true. That's probably not good for a law firm. But anyways, they do. <laughs> but my point is like, what would it take that? So like, for instance, I know people are buying bananas merchandise all over the world daily. I think when they wear that shirt, it's giving them permission to tell the story of the Savannah Bananas. So people are like, oh, man, that's a cool shirt. I hear this all the time. Like, oh, people called out my shirt. I was like, oh, wait, you should see what this team does. They are crazy. And so it gives you social currency. So how can you create a brand that's so cool that people want to wear your logo? I don't want you to say, oh, well, sports teams, that's easy. No, look at Yeti. Yeti has a, probably a multi, 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 multi-million well, dollar. Carhartt now. What's Carhartt. that? Carhartt. Construction wares. Like the the ski caps, I mean, that's picked up in the last yeah. year or two. I know. I mean, it's it's that type of relationship with the brand. Um, it's not just because it's more than just a brand. It's something that people can embrace. It's yeah, exactly. Awesome. I mean, I see, I see Taco Bell shirts from time because people are like that's a fun. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, th- think about that. What can you do to make your merchandise be so popular that people want to wear it? That's a long and tough conversation for a lot of people because you have to change the conversation, Mike. The conversation is no longer how do you extract value from your fans. It's how do you create value for fans. And it's how do you actually create fans versus create revenue. If you're going to say, I'm going to create fans, you're going to have a whole different conversation of what you're going to do that will get people to want to wear your shirt. You said, how do I create money? You're going to actually do something that will not create fans most of the time. Well, well, that's what Warren Buffett is like the king of is in you. I've been to the Berkshire meeting a couple of times. You go in and the, half the place is just convention hall packed with his, the brands and people are peddling out money for Coke wares and uh, private jets. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. he's, he just creates that uh, a connection to it. And it, it's amazing. Uh, speaking of creating that connection, one thing I absolutely love, and I would love for you to share with everybody, is the One City World Tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, I guess uh, there's a few things there, but uh, yeah, how did it happen during during the challenges of COVID this past season? We started to ask a lot more questions. And I think all innovation starts from asking questions from your fans' perspective. And we said, fans can't come to our games right now. Um, but the second game of the year when we played, a gentleman comes up to me with his wife and his three kids. And he says at the end of the game, he goes, thank you so much. That was so much fun. I go, oh, thank you. He goes, yeah, we just drove 40 hours from Utah for this game. And we're driving 40, <laughs> we're driving 40 hours back tomorrow. And it was everything we could hope for. I go, you are crazy, man. Thank you so much. I'm thinking in my head, I go, I want to drive 40 minutes for so many things, let alone 40 hours. And uh, I started realizing this, people were coming from all over to be able to see our circus, our, our game, our show. And uh, we said, well, why don't we bring the show to, to our fans? And there's a lot of reasons why, um, you know, obviously we're compared to the Globetrotters, but there's no baseball teams doing it anymore, Mike, because it's not easy. You know, you got to bring all these players, you got to bring all these things. And there's not many baseball teams that are that differentiated. It's still a baseball game. Right. And so there's a lot of issues. And we said, all right, well, anything we're going to do, if we're going to do something big, we got to make sure it's different. And we also got to do it in a small bet. You know, people think you got rid of all your ad, ad sponsorship money. That's a huge bet. Well, it was hundreds of thousand dollars, but it was less than 9% of our total revenue. So it wasn't that big of a bet. Eliminating all of our shipping and making all shipping free was a very small percentage. It was, I don't know how many thousands of dollars, but it wasn't $100,000. This, doing a one city world tour, 
we said, what's the worst thing happened? It doesn't work. And we're down a little bit. So what we announced, we actually went out to our fans, fans first. Hey guys, we're bringing the show on the road. We're bringing our pep band. We're bringing our male cheerleading team. We're bringing our break dancing first base coach. We're bringing everything. We have no idea how we're going to do this, but we announced it and we're, we're going to play our two teams. We'll figure it out. Where should we go? And we got a thousand nominations. We heard from 300 cities, 15 countries. I was like, sorry, Sydney, Australia. We're not going to be able to make it to you. I don't think that's going to work out this year. But uh, so, and finally, we wrote, narrowed down to five cities and they started competing. They said, we want the bananas. We want the bananas. And finally, Mobile, Alabama, they, who lost their team a couple of years ago, they rolled out the yellow carpet. They had all the media announce world famous baseball circus coming to Mobile. We're like, heck yeah, great language. We love it. And we announced it and we put on a wait list. Uh, and, and uh, with anything we want to get, if you want it, we got to get, you know, get your demand and create the demand. And, uh, we announced it and night one, 3,500 capacity at a 6,000 stadium. They're letting us do 3,500, which is pretty good. It's sold out without going on sale to the general public sold out, uh, in just the priority, like 3,500 tickets. So we've added a night two, uh, for this. And, uh, we don't know exactly how we're all going to do it, but we know there's demand. Um, I started calling all uh, fans, our whole staff, anybody who buys a ticket, we call and we thank them. So I was calling them the other day and I remember a, a, a gentleman answered. He goes, oh, we're so excited. My 10-year-old son's watching all your videos every morning when he wakes up. I go, that's crazy. I go, have you guys been to a game? He goes, no, but we can't wait. And then I called another woman and she answered and she goes, she goes, uh, hey, I've got the Hey Baby dance down. I've been practicing it. I'm <laughs> hey, Have you ever been to a game? She goes, no, but I'm ready to lead my section in the Hey Baby dance. I go, amazing. And all of a sudden, Mike, the purpose that our team has, this is like year one for us. We're going to a whole nother market with brand new fans who have never seen the show, who are more excited about what we do. That gives us purpose. And so why wouldn't we do more of this and start to go to these new cities and have the excitement and joy to see us? I mean, they're fans of us and we haven't even done anything yet. It's amazing. And so that's helped our team even more realize through all the challenges, through everything we've had over the past year, we got something to look forward to and put on a show in another city. So my friend, this is just the start. We're, we're just getting started with this. Well, we'll make sure to put a, uh you know, maybe uh, North Carolina here on the, the list for the uh, the next world tour. <laughs> yeah, that, that's an easier one. That, that's a night trip. We could do that. That's an easy one. And then, you know, you mentioned about the circus um, coming to town. And I thought, like, this was a great way uh, in looking at companies to ask this question. Now, why did the circus shut down? And ask, like, is, is this something that's, a, like, for any company – why did the circus shut down? Insert the company there. Why could they shut down? Can you kind of just fill in for folks what you meant by that? So when I, well, first of all, do you want me to answer like why the circus did shut down and then say like how? Like, yeah, sure. Well, uh, Kenneth Feld, the founder of Feld Entertainment, who actually bought the circus many years, he gives a great explanation. There's a great podcast. If you search Kenneth Feld, I forgot what I was on. Okay. He explained there was a lot of reasons, but you know, um, the first the first one to fall was the fact that they couldn't have uh, the animals that they wanted. Obviously, there was a big issue with PETA and the elephants and how they, oh, yeah. so the animals was the big thing. Then number two, they had such a huge amount of people that they were actually doing two rail cars and they were actually doing education for everybody, everyone, all the kids. I mean, it was the most expensive tour they could ever. The numbers just stopped making sense, even though they were selling a minimum of fifty thousand people um, mm -hmm. a week. It's just the numbers didn't make sense, the, the challenges. So, But more than anything, I think part of the funneling is it became irrelevant. Mm -hmm. You know, on the way we get entertainment now, the circus back in the day, you never saw those things. Right Now, we get entertainment at our fingertips nonstop that people would argue that's better than seeing some people run around in motorcycles and a ringmaster make some announcements. It, it, it became more irrelevant and it wasn't that specific niche focused. It was just this wide range of a circus. And so, you know, I, I think that's a fear of mine that I have, you know, I, I talk about a fear of settling, but also I have a fear of irrelevance. I have a fear of not actually creating something that people want. And um, I think you need to have a pulse on not your current, just your current customers, but your future customers, where people are going. And people are always going to want things faster, more convenient, easier, and they're going to want to be entertained. And if you can't provide that, or if you stay with the way it's been, even just a year behind, you're in trouble. And that's why so many new businesses are shutting down. So that's why we are constantly reinventing. And a lot of things will fail, 
but we're at least showing our customers and our people that we care enough to try new things and they're going to keep testing and testing and testing and testing. I mean, Jeff Bezos said, our success is a direct function of how many experiments we do per year, per month, per week, per day. Mm-hmm. Bingo. In his final letter to his employees before he stepped down, he said, invention. Invention is our key. I don't know if the circus was inventing enough anymore. And I don't know if new companies are inventing enough anymore. So that's, I think, uh, something to think about with your, what are you doing to reinvent, reimagine and experiment now to create a better experience? And I think that's every business. That's one of the things we look at is to say, are they adapting or are they dying? Because look at with COVID, you, you saw the gap between the haves and the have nots because like a target's a good example. They invested prior to COVID into like their technology, Walmart, same thing. And those made that customer experience seamless, memorable, easy, mm-hmm. and it has translated. Finally, how can uh, people stay connected with you? <laughs> I post almost daily on LinkedIn, but you search Yellow Tux, you'll find me. Savannah Bananas, you can find us. And um, I learned a great lesson when I was 25 years old and I read Mark Cuban's book and I sent him an email and he responded back within an hour. I was blown away. And so I always share if people have questions or ways that I could help or uh, reach out. I, I enjoy that. I think uh, I think the greatest leaders are always trying to give more, as we talked about before, and trying. So I'm uh, trying to live that way as well. So feel free to reach out. You search Yellow Tux Jesse, you'll find me anywhere. And the Savannah Bands, we're uh, we're pretty active as well. Thanks a lot, Jesse. Appreciate your time, and uh, this was a great conversation. Uh, just awesome stuff. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. Thanks for joining us today. To continue the conversation, visit us at our blog, financial-recon.com. Appearances do not constitute endorsement of flagship wealth management group, LPL Financial, or any other entity discussed in this program. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Jesse Cole, Fans First Entertainment, and the Savannah Bananas are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial and a flagship wealth management group.